0: It's great to be back with you guys uh, again, and you know our, my history goes way, 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 way back into the '80s. So some of you've been here since the '80s, uh, back and forth across the river. Uh, so it's exciting to be here once again, and uh, glad I had the opportunity to to fill in for Mike today. It's it's he's asked me a few times to come when he's had some conflicts. And my schedule just rarely doesn't allow me to, to do that. I travel quite a bit. Uh, many of you know that I now work for m and A the mission of North America uh, agency of our denomination as the civilian chaplain coordinator uh, as director actually, they just changed my name officially from coordinator to director. Um, it doesn't mean anything it's just a it's just a different word uh, but uh I have the privilege of uh, recruiting and being the chaplain to chaplains in civilian settings all across the country, uh, representing the PCA and six other Presbyterian and Reformed denominations. Uh, and when I say civilian, I mean anyone who's not in the military. If you're not enlisted in something uh, where you have a commitment to the government uh, for a certain period of time, then you fall under my uh, my uh, list of chaplains to support and to recruit. So that includes the VA and, and a Bureau of Prisons. So there are some federal employees who are uh, considered civilian chaplains. And just um, recently I know that this church uh, agreed to support me as one of the official missionaries here, and I'm very grateful, very excited about that. I uh, do uh, ask that you continue to pray that God will provide, uh, because I have to raise all of my support uh, to do this, Uh, But but it's a great privilege. Let me just tell you a story of uh, one chaplain I got to visit back uh, in early December in Boston. It's not exactly the best time to be in Boston. Uh, Early December, there was ice on my car window when I got out uh, that morning to go visit him at uh, uh, a federal prison. He's a a PCA uh, chaplain who's in the federal prison there, which is a hospital, which is where the uh, Boston Marathon bomber has been. Uh, that's uh, the, the most famous inmate they have at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, just to see inside the walls of what he does and how he uh, goes around and supports the the inmates that are there. Many times it's uh, it's accommodating others' religions, uh, Muslims and Buddhists, and and who knows? You know, just make a list. There's like forty or fifty different religions that they have to have supplies on on uh, on. Uh, on supply there for them, uh, so that they have to accommodate them. Excuse me, my suspenders. (laughs) Where was I? Uh, But anyway, um, it's a good thing the other side was holding up good. but then there are, there are some who actually, you know, you may think, well, they're federal prisons. They, they've committed felonies. Uh, um, but there are people who are believers. Believers make mistakes. Uh, there are people who, inside the walls, become believers. And, and this uh, chaplain has the opportunity and the privilege to lead worship services every Sunday, preach from the reform perspective, to, to, to say that this is God's word and, and you know he occasionally has to be careful who he says that to, and uh, outside the walls of the chapel, but when he gets in the chapel it 's just like he 's standing right here uh, and, and and so it 's really wonderful to be able to support chaplains like that in a lot of different settings who have opportunities to bring forth the the word of God into the into the darkness of people 's lives um, so anyway, uh, Daryl asked me to give you a little bit of a, a minute uh, uh, it's probably a little bit more than you. Needed there, especially with uh, the wardrobe malfunction. Uh, So I, I apologize, and I don't know if I can continue on the rest of the day. But I will do the best I can by God's grace. Look at the scripture that is printed there for you. Hear now the word of God. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for its power, for its might, for its ability to make straight our paths, to guide us day by day and step by step. Lord, I pray that you would help us all here this morning be hearers of your word and also doers by the power of the Holy Spirit and by your grace. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. As we finish up Christmas, many of you have probably had opportunity as I have to listen to Handel's Messiah. It's one of my favorite things to do during Christmas time. And as part of that, you know, in fact, I just discovered I, you know, I'm not musically very literate. Uh, another confession of, of uh, regret uh, that I wish I'd spent more time as a child and as a young adult uh, learning more about music. I can't sing worth a, a you know, anyway, I just, you, know, you fill in the blank there. Uh, uh, Heath's silence is better than my singing. Uh, LAUGHTER but I've come to appreciate the beauty of music and the, the beauty of uh, classical type music in particular. And Handel's Messiah is one of my favorites. And, and I have um, decided that I want to try to listen to it all year round because uh, it really is the message of the gospel. Uh, I, I just discovered that there are more than 50 parts to Handel's Messiah, the complete Messiah. You know, if you just get the little... Uh, 10 song version you get a few of the things and then the hallelujah chorus and and that's really nice and that's really great but there are 50 something passages there uh, to to listen to but one of the one of the favorite parts maybe one of your favorite parts as well is where uh, from Isaiah 40 verse 4 it says every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill made low the crooked straight and rough places plain and then of course the hallelujah chorus which comes from revelation first part of it comes from revelation 196 hallelujah 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 four the lord god omnipotent reigneth those are wonderful and incredible messages that come straight from god's word And in the Christmas season, we like to to experience those things with great joy and excitement and anticipation and and wonder that God, the almighty God, came to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. That he took upon himself human flesh and human nature, became the God-man. Just an incredible, exciting to remember year by year as we think about Christmas, the true meaning of Christmas. As part of that, there are the messages that every valley will be lifted up. I like to think about those things metaphorically, and I think that's probably the intent of the scriptures there, that there are valleys in all of our lives, deep, dark places that are places we don't like to be, places that are difficult to live in. Places of shadows, where the walls of the valley create shadows down there. You know, one of the coldest places in Arkansas is up uh, by the Buffalo River. It's because it's in the valley there, and the, and the sun just doesn't come as intense into that place if it wasn't down in the valley. And so in the valley is a difficult place, a cold place, a dark place quite often. Those valleys will be lifted up. And the mountains, metaphorically, perhaps the obstacles, the difficult things in life that we have to climb, that we have to to scale up to get to the summit, uh, to get over, to get down into the next pass and to continue on. The mountains and the hills will be made low. The crooked places, the things that wind here and there. We think we need to go from here to that place, but... Just like in the interstate system as I've learned in my driving across the country, you just don't go from point A to point B like the, like the bird flies. You've got to go through this part and through that part, wherever the road leads, and often it's not very straight. It'd be much easier if things were made straight, the crooked places made straight, and the rough places, the rough places made smooth. Think about that metaphorically. How many times are there rough? Sore, difficult things in your life. They just aren't very well smoothed over. They're not very smooth. They're not very easy to touch. They're painful. They're rough. The promises of God's word is that when Emmanuel comes, the valleys will be made to lift up, the mountains brought low, the crooked places straight, and the rough places plain. That's the promise. Of the coming of the Messiah, the coming of God. And He does indeed reign sovereignly, supremely. Hallelujah for that. Hallelujah. But one of the things that I have experienced, and, and you probably know that most preachers preach to themselves, and you just happen to hear us talking out loud to ourselves, you're eavesdropping. It's okay. I'm really talking to myself because what I, what I struggle with quite often is that I look at the world around me. I look at my own life. I look at my own challenges. I look at my own family. And I see rough places. And I see crooked roads. Not the way that I would have laid them out for my children or my grandchildren. That there are still mountains to be scaled. And there are those deep, dark lonely, cold valleys that are still very much a part of the life that I live and perhaps a part of the life that you live. We have already received incredible blessings because God did become man. Incredible things changed because Jesus came and walked upon this earth Because Jesus came and died upon the cross. Things are radically different in our own lives. But yet there's still those hard things. It's an already and a not yet. A tension that we live in. God has indeed come and we celebrate that. But there will come a day when he comes again. When all these things will be made true how do we make it until then? How do we make it until then? We just finished 2014. And you know what you do at the turning of a year. You look back and you think about the year and many will say it was a good year. Many will say it was the worst year of my life. Most of us are probably in between. Many of us looking at, at, at my particular year, it's probably more on the not so good side than on the good side. And so you think about it and you look through all these things and you evaluate life and you evaluate things. Many of you may have had wonderful, incredible things happen, we did. We had a second grandchild that came to join us. He is now almost four months old. And that's why Hazel's not here because the grandchildren are at our house. Uh, in fact, I, I think the sermon's over. I need to go back. <laughs> yeah. Elliot is two. Alden is almost four months. Uh, and, and we're having a great time. They have to leave tomorrow. It's going to be hard. You grandparents, and you know what I'm talking about, right.. Yeah. Uh, so some great and wonderful things, but some hard things as well this year. Hard things. Last time I preached this sermon, there was a couple that had just been married about a week in the congregation, and I, I look at them and I go, yeah, they had a good year, even though don't, you know, they didn't get married to the very end, but they're going to say 2014 was a great year. But We also look ahead to 2015, don't we, and we think about what's ahead, maybe we've got great and wonderful plans, expectations and hopes that wonderful things will happen, but we also know just because of life experience that there will be some people who are with us today that will not be with us next january 1st that hurts that's hard that's a rough place that's a valley it's often very deep we'll have new ones join us and that will be exciting and that'll be joyous But how do we make it from here to there? Because the struggle that I have is I look at the world around me and I have the tendency to become pessimistic, believe it or not. I become pessimistic. I can become depressed. I can become overwhelmed. I can become cynical. I can even... Become faithless. <clears throat> have you been there? One of the things that I think is a good thing that has happened for us, by the way, I have till 2 o'clock, right? <laughs> That's when nap time's over at the house. That's when I need to be back. my wife Hazel came across a saying from Charles Spurgeon that, that we have prominently placed above our kitchen sink. You know, that, that's, that, it is the focal point of the whole house. And it? is it not? You know, somewhere in the kitchen is the focal point of the whole house. It's a quote from Charles Spurgeon that says, It is folly to think the Lord provides grace for every trouble except the one you're currently in today. That's me. I can look back and see God was so faithful then and I can't believe we made it through that and how wonderful it was to know that God provided in such a wonderful way during that crisis and that need and that difficulty. But man, where I am now, how are we going to make it? How are we going to make it? And Spurgeon says it's, that's, That's foolish to think that God can provide by his grace for every single trouble there is. And we're very quick to throw that out at someone else, right? Oh, God's grace will help you through that. God's grace. God's mercy, God's power, God's strength. But when you get back into your own little rough place and that own little valley, you're not so sure. Are you? Confession. And so in preaching to myself, and understanding the Christmas season and the great promises and the incredible joy that comes from that, looking ahead at 2015, and the great things hopefully that will come, but also the challenges that will come, and facing even the things of today, today, Tomorrow's another work day, right? School starts again tomorrow. Is that right, kids? Oh, boy. (laughs) Where did the time go? How are we going to make it through? I want to encourage you. I want to encourage myself by reminding us of the victory, the victory that we have in Christ. I need it. I need it every day. And I believe you do too. Part of what's going to help us through that is to have a, a, an appropriate expectation. The Apostle Paul's very last letter that we have recorded is Second Timothy. And in Second Timothy chapter 3, as he is speaking to Timothy, he gives him a list of things to expect in the last days. That's a theological term, and basically it's the world we live in now. It's the world they lived in. It's the world we live in until Jesus comes again. This is our world. These are the people that are in our world. These actually, these, these descriptions are us in many ways. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, about the last days and what to expect going forward. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Four, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, (coughs) proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, It's power. Paul's telling Timothy, get ready. Be prepared. If this is the way people are, and this is the world we live in, what are we expecting from the world? Difficult times. So when we come to understand the power and the grace and the mercy and the, and the sovereignty of God and how God works providentially in all things because he sits upon the throne, don't lead that, don't, don't allow that to lead you to expect everything to be good and the world to act right because it won't. It never has, it never will. It may seem like things are worse and getting worse. Maybe they are. Things were pretty bad back then as well. Christians were dying because they were Christians. Today, Christians are dying because they are Christians. It hasn't happened in our country yet. Maybe it won't by God's mercy. But it might. Difficult times. What do we expect? The mountains are still there. The valleys are still there. The roads are still crooked. The rough places haven't been smoothed over yet. But God's promise is those things will happen. And so it's good to be prepared. To know what to expect. Back in Acts, have I even gotten to my first point yet? I don't know. <laughs> That's okay. I, I really don't have my points numbered. If you're if you're wanting an outline, I'm sorry. Take take what the Spirit speaks to you about, and and don't listen to me. Listen to God's word. Back in Acts chapter one. I want to take a little bit of time to work through this passage. I want to start by going back to the to the first book that Luke wrote to Theophilus, which was Luke. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And at the very end of Luke, chapter 24, you don't need to turn there if you don't want to. You can if you want to, but I'm going to be coming right back here to Acts chapter 1. I'm just going to read a couple of verses there in Luke 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. Let me just pause right there. This is after Jesus had been crucified. He was dead and put into the grave, put into the burial tomb with the stone rolled in front of it, in front of the entrance. <coughs> I mean, this is Jesus, that little baby in the manger, that little 12-year-old that ran away, that didn't run away, just kind of got, got distracted into the temple while his parents moved on down the, down the way. And they came back and he's teaching at 12 years old. He's the one who spoke with authority. He changed the water into wine. He calmed the storms. He walked on the water. He raised the dead. So much so that that Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. They knew who he was. He had demonstrated by his acts in his words, and his life, that he was indeed God with us. But then he died. I mean, he was dead. And he was buried. And they are going on the first day of the week to the tomb with spices. What were they expecting to find? They were expecting to find a dead Jesus. They were going to go anoint the body. The passage continues, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. Acts chapter 1. In this first, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days And speaking about the kingdom of God. He was alive. And for 40 days, from now until the middle of February, for 40 days, he was amongst them. Some incredible things were happening. They would be in a room, and boom, he's there. Boom, he's gone. They'd be telling stories. He was walking along the road, and people were just excited to hear him explain the things of God, the things of God's Word, how all these things were to happen, that happened, happened because that's the way God wanted them to happen. Can you imagine being a disciple at that point? Talking about a low valley to a high peak, Jesus is alive, and we see Him, and we hear Him. And we touch him. We share meals together. He is teaching us. He is encouraging us. This is Jesus. He died, but death couldn't hold him. He was alive. The tomb was empty. Yes! How exciting! What an exciting 40 days that must have been. And the disciples. He says, and and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. This is verse 4. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they, the disciples, asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, now, Lord, Now will the mountains be brought low. Now will the valleys be brought up. Now will the crooked be made straight. Now will the rough places be made smooth. Now, Lord, now, is it now? Can you feel it? Why wouldn't it be now? He just conquered the grave. He is alive now. What's going to happen to him now? They can't kill him again. He goes through walls. And yet he's alive and he's real and we touch him and we we have meals with him. Now, now the kingdom's coming. with that excitement and that joy, can you imagine hearing Jesus' answer? Because he says, it is not for you to know, times or seasons, that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It is not for you to know. I think he's implying the answer is no, not now. Because it would have been very easy for him to say, gear up, buckle up, here we go. You don't know and you won't know. But, he says, you will receive power. When I look forward to 2015, when I look forward to the rest of today, when I look to tomorrow, next week, next month, the whole year, the rest of my life, I do not know the times and the seasons. I cannot tell you what is ahead for me or for you for 2015. As I said before, I don't think that what's ahead is for us to die for being Christians or to be persecuted, to be prevented from saying the name of Jesus, though there are places where that's a challenge these days. Chaplaincy is one of them. You've got to watch out. You can get in trouble. You can lose your job if you don't do things well and properly with good wisdom. I don't know what's ahead. But we have power. That's what I forget. That's what I forget every day. The power that is ours in Christ. That's the message I need for 2015. That's the message I think we all need for each and every day. We don't know what the day holds. We don't know what the year holds. But we have been given power. The grave is empty. Jesus isn't there anymore. And he's promised to give us power. Now listen to this part. Yeah, I got time. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Do you know that word witness is the same word for martyr? You could change that to you will be my martyrs in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that word for the end of the earth is eschatos from which we get the word eschatology. Those of you might know that word, that's about the study of end times. It's about the last days. Perhaps on purpose. That word means to go to the far, utmost farthest part of the, of the earth, the, the very last inch of the earth. But it also means until the earth is no more, until the end, Of the earth. As long as the earth is the way it is now, until Jesus comes again and transforms it all into a new heaven and a new earth, until then we will be Christ's witnesses and martyrs going forward. And then we have the passage that is the passage that we read today. And when Jesus had said all these things, As they the disciples were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he as he went, behold two men stood by by them in white robes. Again, I I like to to picture what it might have been like to be there. It's not revealed. So it's my imagination. You can use your imagination as well. There's Jesus. One, can you imagine seeing Jesus? The resurrected Jesus. And he's teaching. And man, talking about a teacher. He, you know, he can really teach. Gives us farewell to his disciples. And then he starts floating. (laughs) He starts going up into the sky. Mouths agape, eyes fixed, probably not even blinking. And you're just standing there. It's incredible. In many ways, what we are seeing is a coronation. Where is he going? He's going to the throne room. He's going to sit at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He is demonstrating again that he is king. This earth doesn't hold him. And the king is going to his throne, and you're standing there stunned, amazed. It's incredible. And then these two white guys, guys, these two guys in the white clothes, these two guys show up, and they say, what are you looking at? And it's kind of like, that's kind of a silly question. (laughs) I'm looking at Jesus. But I think maybe what they're saying, just as they were the, these are the same two guys who were at the tomb, by the way, who said, hey, you know, he's not here. Here they are again, two guys in white robes. What are you looking at? Just as he left, he's coming again. This is not the end. And in the meantime, he's giving you a purpose, a goal, He's given you a task to do. You are called to be witnesses and martyrs everywhere until time ends. Buckle up. Exciting times ahead. Don't just stand there. So, the message that I preach to myself. The question I ask myself is, what do you believe? When I look at the world and I see the mountains that are still there, and the valleys, and the crooked ways, and the rough places, what do I believe? Am I on my own? Am I doing the best I can? Am I just putting on a happy face? Am I living in denial? That's really my favorite place to be. What do I believe? What do I believe about the world? What do I believe about Christ? What do I believe about me as a follower of Christ? And what difference does it make? Does it make any difference? Or am I going to fall into that folly of thinking God's grace is sufficient for everything, but what's happening now? And the need I have now. And the struggle I have now. Am I that foolish? I tell you, sometimes yes. But I've got to remember, every day every day the tomb is empty jesus is on the throne and that makes a difference so every day i want to preach to myself you know you've been told probably or heard we should preach to ourselves the gospel every day i also want to expand that out a little bit every day i want to be reminded about the truth of Emmanuel, God is with us. We have not been left orphans. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to be reminded that Christ's death covers and pays for my sin. I want to be reminded that Christ is risen again. He is no longer in the grave. He reigns in heaven. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, transformed everybody radically I want to be reminded that God is sovereign that God's plans will be done that God's providence is at work I want to be reminded that wherever I am when I lie down when I rise up even if I go into the deepest darkest places of the earth even there God is there he knows the number of hairs on my head he knows that I am frail and weak He knows that I'm made of dust, and He is an ever-present help. Psalm 46. He is an ever-present help. Even though the mountains move and the waters roar and the earth melts, we are to be still and know that He is God. 2015, I do not know the times or the seasons. I do not. And it may well be, as we look at, if if, if you were to look at the list of the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, those great and wonderful things that they did, but then there's that paragraph about some of them were, you know, kind of cut in two and bad things happened, you know. They didn't. They didn't get the uh, the positive things, but yet they were heroes of faith. There are heroes of faith living today in Iraq, in the Sudan, in China, and other places where they are standing up and saying, "I will not deny the person of Christ. He is my Lord and Savior, even though I die." We are surrounded by a crowd of witnesses martyrs and we've called to be with them and like them i do not know the times but my friends we have been given power hallelujah let's bow gracious heavenly father we thank you for your wonderful grace and mercy For the power that you've given us and even though we are so weak and frail and we we become even almost faithless we thank you lord that with you there is mercy and grace and morning by morning new mercies we see to your glory we pray amen